Welcome to the latest on the law, a podcast of the Boston Bar Association. The Commonwealth's premier legal association, the BBA, is home to over 15,000 members and 140 institutional partners consisting of law firms, corporations, government agencies, legal aid organizations, and law schools. Visit us at bostonbar.org to learn more. Hello, everybody. I'm just going to share my screen for the PowerPoint presentation. Okay. All right, so I am Ventura Dennis. I am a senior attorney from Greater Boston Legal Services Quarry and Reentry Project. So, what is the Quarry problem? As you know, the the number of people with criminal records has continued to balloon and balloon. As of now, um, one and Three people and over 100 million people have been have a criminal arrest record on file in a state repository. And also, you should know that there are clear racial disparities of who gets incarcerated um, in Massachusetts. We do have lower incarcerate incarceration rates than other states. Um, however, Black and Latinx people are over 50% of those who are incarcerated, although they are only 17% of the population. And Blacks are 7% of the mass population, but 26% of those we incarcerate. So it's important to understand that when you're helping someone with a quarry, you're helping to address the clear racial disparities that exist in our um, in our state and also the collateral consequences that come from incarceration. So before you sell anything, um, you should get certified copies of the complaint and the docket before you seal. Because once you seal a case, you no longer have access to those um to those documents in the case file at all. And although there is not a official way to unseal, there is a way to unseal through the commissioner of probation's office and also by court. And those processes can take a long time. Um, and if you're not a citizen, especially, you should consult with an immigration lawyer because they will need access to everything that's on your criminal record if you're not a citizen, even if you do decide to seal. And so it's just really important that you get the copies you need before actually sealing the record. So there are a few things you should be aware of um, before sailing, which is the Dukin and Farrakh drug lab scandals that happened. Um, although there is no longer a special unit to deal with those who are affected by those scandals, we do have the um, link and phone number to call CPCS for those who are seeking help to reopen those cases. Some people are able to get compensation for fees that they paid um, for those cases that that have now been overturned. And so it's important to know if a client has those types of charges that have been vacated. 
And then also um, certain convictions and quaffs can be grounds for removal or deportation. And so if um, you know of someone who has a quaff and isn't a citizen, they may be able to reopen that case to have it changed to a dismissal um, in light of the consequences of their status being affected. So how can you sail your quarry? There are two ways to sail. Um, the first way through probation is by mail after a seven-year waiting period for a felony and a three-year waiting period for a misdemeanor. There is no waiting period if the offense was decriminalized. Um, the most common one we see is possession of marijuana under two ounces. And the other way to sail is by a judge. It has no required waiting periods, but is only able to be applied to certain types of cases, which we're going to discuss in the rest of the presentation. So sailing through probation is a free administrative process that involves filling in and mailing or hand delivering a form to the commissioner of probation's office after the required waiting periods. So again, the waiting periods are three years for a misdemeanor and seven years for a felony. And you cannot have any open cases on your record. And so that means if you're on probation, your case is open and you won't be able to sell any charges until that case is closed. You also want to make sure you're using the newest form that exists. There are some older forms out there, but if you use those, those will be denied and you would have to resubmit the petition. This process, as of right now, is taking at least three months once they receive the petition for them to process it and seal the eligible charges. So you want to make sure that you have the right form and you're following the correct process to get the ball rolling. You should also know that fel felony larceny threshold increased from $250 to $1,200. So there are some cases that may be listed as a felony larceny 250 over that's not actually a felony and will be treated as a misdemeanor for sailing purposes. But it's something that you may have to ask about because they might be mislabeled or it might just be an older case where that used to be what the threshold was. So this is the form you would send into the Commissioner Probation's office. As you can see at the top, the address where to mail it is right at the, right there. And underneath that, there are four different boxes you can check depending on what you're seeking to seal by using this form. So the first box is to seal delinquency cases or juvenile cases. The second box is to seal misdemeanor cases. The third box is to seal felony cases. And the fourth box is to seal offenses that are no longer a crime, as we discussed the um, possession of marijuana under two ounces being the most common. So underneath that, you just want to print your name, write your address, put all your demographic information, including your full social security number. Unlike a lot of other forms that require your last four or six, they want your entire social security number, your place of birth, father's name, mother's name. If you have a spouse, include that name as well. And then there is a place to sign. Now, underneath that first place to sign, there are also 
three more boxes you would check depending on what you're seeking to sell. So the first box you would check off if you're selling juvenile charges on your records because you can use the same form to sell juvenile charges. And the second and third boxes you check if you're seeking to sell adult charges on your record. And then you also sign underneath that. So at a minimum, you're signing this form at least twice if you're selling adult charges and three times if you're selling adult and juvenile charges. So how do the waiting periods work? For any conviction, the waiting period starts on the date that you were found guilty or the date that you were released from incarceration, whichever is later. So for example, Joe was found guilty of a misdemeanor on May 4th, 2020, which has a three-year waiting period. He was sent on probation for a year and then the case was closed on May 4th, 2021. He can seal the case by mail on May 4th, 2023, which would be three years after he was found guilty. Some convictions, however, do have longer waiting periods, um, special waiting periods. Some, the first of which is abuse prevention and harassment order convictions. Um, are both considered, um, they are both required to have a seven-year waiting period. Although they are misdemeanors, they are treated as felonies for the purposes of sealing records. And sex offense convictions um, are can only be sealed after the offender is no longer on the registry and they after and it's 15 years after the very last event in the case that includes the end of any period of supervision, probation, parole, or release from incarceration. So you must no longer be in the registry and it has to be 15 years after the last event in the case to seal a sex offense. Now, there are some different levels um, of being in the registry that are important to know because that will affect your ability to seal. Um, now, if you are currently in the registry, you're not permitted to seal any sex offenses at all. You have to be out of the registry. If you are a level one status and you're no longer in the registry, you have to wait 15 years until after the sex offense, sex offense convictions on your record have passed in order to seal those. Now, if you have now, if a sex offender has other charges that are not sex offense convictions and they become eligible to seal, they are able to seal those other charges. For level two and three sex offenders, however, they can never seal convictions for certain types of sex offenses. Okay. However, there is a however there is a case called the Cole case, which was cited by the SJC, where as applied to the person petitioner in Cole, the Supreme Court found that it was not constitutional to never allow them to um, seal their sex offenses. But for any other person who is seeking to seal, and they were a level two or three sex offender, the only way as of right now is to seek a court challenge um, 
and have the court decide whether or not the law as applied to them is constitutional. There are also some never saleable offenses. These are convictions that um, are considered a crime against public justice. The ones that we see most often are witness intimidation or escape from jail. Those can never be sealed. There are also a number of public justice crimes and state ethics and conflicts of interest offenses. Something to note is that in 2018, resisting arrest convictions became saleable. Before 2018, they were considered never saleable offenses, but now they are able to be sealed. And some firearm convictions and convictions for violations of the state ethics and conflicts of interest laws can never be sealed as well. So that's something... Um, you can look at the statute. There are just a number of convictions listed there. And it's important to go over them because it may not, you know, logically make sense that it, something is included in the never saleable offenses, but it's important to take a look at that list. Now, I'm when I'm talking about these never saleable offenses, I'm only talking about convictions of these types of offenses. If you were charged with witness intimidation and then it was ultimately dismissed or not guilty or no pros, those charges are able to be sealed. And then also remember, you can sell juvenile cases on the same form that we went over to send to the Commissioner of Probation's office. You will have to wait three years after the, the last event in the juvenile case before you are able to seal that. And something to note is that... Okay. So, um, so am I sending out the phone will be mail. I'm happy to. I just, it's not been clear to me that I'm supposed to. Hold um, on. Pauline, I think you're, you're unmuted. Hold on one second. I'll call you right back. Uh -huh. Bye. Yeah. Okay. So um, the U4 offender cases as of right now are being treated by the commissioner of probation um, as felony adult cases and certain wild offenses are also being treated as never saleable. But there is pending litigation, um, SJC 13465, and we're awaiting a decision of whether or not this will continue or this will stop so that youthful offenders are treated again as juveniles versus as adults when sealing those types of charges. Do you want me to comment on the case, Ventura? No, you were just unmuted. So we heard oh, something on like the phone. Yeah. I'm sorry, I apologize. <laughs> yeah, you're all good, Pauline. Um, so Terry, it, Terry Snicker, who is a co-worker from my office, is going to take over the next part of the presentation. Okay. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Terry Snicker, and I am an attorney at, um, in the core unit at Greater Boston Legal Services. So let, I'm just gonna share my screen. Okay. And Ventura, can you stop sharing your screen? And then I yeah, can Yeah, I realized I was, I, I stopped. Okay, no worries.
I appreciate everyone's patience. Okay, so the second way that um, individuals can seal cases is through the court process. And the process to seal cases in court is found under GL Chapter 276, Section 100C. It involves filing a petition to seal and going to court for one or two hearings. Um, let's see, it's limited to district court, superior court, and Boston Municipal Court. There is no sealing of federal court or out-of-state cases right in mass from so for people from Massachusetts, we cannot seal anything from federal or out of state. Okay, hold on. Just okay. So what to file in court? You're going to file the 100 seat petition to seal with one exception in Boston Municipal Court under the standing order. If you have cases in one of the eight BMC courts or in more than one BMC court, um, you have to have at least three. You can, you can bundle the cases and go to one BMC court and ask a judge to seal your, the other BMC cases. But this only applies to BMC cases. We usually provide our clients with an affidavit. It's very helpful for the judge to see um, a, a little bit of length of what, why the person would like to petition the court to seal their cases. It's also helpful to file support letters, certificates, favorable documents. And um, once you file the case at the clerk's office, you also want to either deliver or mail a copy to the DA when you file the petition. And this is what the sealing petition looks like, the court sealing petition. It's very helpful to have a copy of the client's quarry so you have all that information um, on uh, that will be needed for this petition. So you have the petitioner's name, the court they're in, the docket number, the offense, the charge, the disposition date, and the disposition. And it's, we, it's not enough to just write a non-conviction. We break it down into a dismissed charge, a null pros, a not guilty. And we put that in that in the disposition column. And then um, there's, a, there's a spot there to write just a, little, a brief uh, explanation of why the client or the individual would like to seal the charges. Um, this will be posted in an uh, in the clerk's office, so we don't recommend that the, an, an individual filling this out puts too much personal information in this block. And then the petitioner signs it, and once it's filed with the clerk's office, they will schedule a hearing date. And in case I didn't wasn't upfront um, or clear, the court can only seal. Charges that ended in, in non convictions. The court cannot seal cases that end in convictions. There is an exception um, for a first time drug offense. So, this is the second part of the sealing petition. Uh, if, if there are more than, you know, more dockets than, uh, than can be covered on the first page, there is a second page. So again, some courts will require one or two hearings. For the courts that require two hearings, the first hearing is a preliminary hearing and the second hearing is a 
is a final hearing. So even in BMC courts, um, right now, Roxbury and Dorchester, they have one hearing, but BMC Central has two, and that may be changing. So you, it's it's sometimes you may have to ask the clerk or call the clerk before you go to the um, the court. In district courts are, are, can be the same. They could have one hearing or two hearings. So the courts must post a notice of the final hearing on a sealing petition at least seven days before the hearing. Some courts post it for longer. Dorchester has been posting it for 30 days. BMC Central for seven days. Roxbury sometimes 14, 14 days. So the posting is in a conspicuous place, usually in the clerk's office, and for a minimum of seven days to give the public and the press the opportunity to intervene or present their objections to the court. Again, posting time may be longer depending on the court and the petition again is posted near or in the clerk's office. So it is now easier to seal court cases that um, in front of the judge. Uh, chapter 276, Section 100C, Paragraph 2 permits sealing if substantial justice would be best served by sealing. But the phrase substantial justice is kind of undefined. In Commonwealth v. Pond, the SJC overruled prior case law and clarified the legal standard by stating that cases can be sealed for good cause. The SJC gave guidance in the Pond decision as to how judges should approach criminal sealing cases. The SJC SJC said the Commonwealth has compelling governmental interests in reducing recidivism, facilitating reintegration, and ensuring self-sufficiency by promoting employment and housing opportunities for former criminal defendants. The SJC said there is a compelling state interest in parents being able to support their children. For the first time, the SJC said judges may take judicial notice that the existence of a criminal record, regardless of what it contains, can present barriers to housing and employment opportunities. So petitioners no longer have to link a particular charge on their record to a specific harm. It is unrealistic to require a defendant to prove causation, and instead we entrust the assessment of a plausible relationship between core availability and the alleged adversity to the sound discretion of the judge. After pawn, petitioners can meet the burden of proof if there is good cause, which entails a present or future foreseeable disadvantage that stems from the quarry that is credible. Factors to consider related to quarry um, that can cause a present or future disadvantage could be risk of unemployment or underemployment, housing problems or risk of homelessness, use of a quarry by employers or licensors in one's present occupation or desired occupation, Receipt of public assistance for yourself or your family, despite efforts to get a job. Denial of or impeded ability for participation in volunteer or community activities. Um, other things to continue is the amount of time since the offense or the arrest. The greater amount of time favors sealing. 
sobriety and rehabilitation efforts of the petitioner. And that's where some of those um, letters can come in. Self-improvement efforts or community contributions, successful completion of probation, other accomplishments after the offense, circumstances at the time of the offense. Youth may be a mitigating factor, stigma or stereotypes attached to a particular offense if the defendant we know, will not pose any additional safety threat to the community and the reason for the disposition. So the courtroom process. The judge will have a carry report and it will show to the judge if the if the individual has any um, open cases, any um, any warrants, if they have any um, restraining orders, things like that nature. It's not unusual for prosecutors to object, especially if it's a violent offense. And sometimes they'll object even if it's a, a violent offense, but it's very old. The order needs to be signed by both the judge and the chief probation officer. And then that is mailed up to the commissioner of probation's office down, downtown. If you lose, you can file a motion to reconsider or appeal. It's due within 30 days. And you can also refile a petition if you lose. So um, it's not just one and done. If you if the judge denies your petition, you can always wait a few, six months or so and refile. So I'm going to just go over before I pass it to Pauline, the expungement versus sealing. So sealing limits the access to records and expungement destroys the records. So we, we advise our clients to uh, not expunge records if they are not citizens and to talk to an immigration lawyer about their records. Even, you know, talk to them before sealing and obviously definitely before expunging. Um, we advise clients to not expunge a drug case that was dismissed due to the lab scandal without talking to a lawyer or checking with CPCS um, because there may be some fees and money that is due them because of the, those cases. Um, if you decide to expunge, you should get multiple or as many certified copies of the docket sheets and other records because you may need them later and they will be destroyed. And once your mass records are expunged, you may not be able to get copies of the, you know, of the dockets or the police reports or any other records because, again, they will be destroyed. Um, the FBI may have records related to your case, even if you seal or expunge your records. And these records often lack final outcomes. If records are expunged, you may be, you may be unable to show how your case ended. Criminal ground, cases as grounds for deportation or exclusion and certified copies may be needed if you apply for jobs with high security or FBI checks. So let's see, I just want to make sure I've. Okay, so now I'm going to stop sharing my screen. I'm going to pass it on to Pauline and she's going to talk about expungement. Terry, um, if if you want to leave the PowerPoint up, we could share it. It looks like it's gone, so I'll I'll share my screen then. Okay, let me know if you have an issue. Okay, just w bear with me for one second so I can uh, PowerPoint.
Okay, so moving on to expungement, as Terry indicated, the difference between expungement and sealing is that with expungement, the record is actually destroyed, so it won't be available, which has serious consequences. Um, should you need it uh, in the future and you may not have a certified copy um, or you have just a regular copy or there is some other there's some special reason why you um, need those um, copies of the record. So there are instances where it's not a terrific idea to expunge your records, particularly if you're not a citizen yet. We typically advise people not to expunge the records. Um, because if you expunge your records and you uh, destroy them all, it may show that you were found not guilty or it ended in a dismissal. But FBI records are famous for having the information on the front end listing the charge, but on the back end, uh, it may not list the disposition of the case. And you may have some proof problems if you uh, get all of your records expunged. Um, there are basically three types of expungement. Um, the first type of expungement uh, went into effect in 2018, and this is special ex expungement for juvenile court records and also for records that were created uh, for offenses that happened before a person was age 21. Um, however, with this particular type of expungement, it's there are very few people that ever qualify. First, um, you can't have more than a total of two cases in total that that were handled by the juvenile court or where you were uh, under age 21 at the time of the offense. So typically uh, you could have more than one offense or charge within a single case because oftentimes a single case has two or three charges within it. But there is this cap of, of having only two cases in total. Um, and the other thing about the juvenile statute, it has lots and lots of exclusions. So by and large, um, we don't, we, we rarely see a client who is eligible for this uh, type of uh, expungement. Uh, the next type of expungement is reason-based expungement under section 100K of chapter 276. And this uh, applies for both juvenile and adult uh, cases. And there are no age limits um, and there are no caps on the number of cases that you can seal. And it doesn't matter whether you've got a short record or a long record. If you're eligible, you're eligible. But there are only six reasons why you can um, expunge records under Section 100K. It's identity issues, decriminalized cases, um, no errors made by the police or court clerks or similar uh, miscarriages of justice where there was something called fraud on the court was committed, which is a, a really high standard to show that that's what happened to you. And then the last category of expungement, which is increasingly popular, is Section 100K in a, in a fourth. And that is expungement of decriminalized cannabis offenses, these marijuana offenses. And it also includes distribution charges that arose out of the, the same offense. So as I was mentioning with um, the juvenile under 21 expungement provisions, um, there is no fee. Um, the petition is not filed with the court, which is unusual. Other kinds of expungement are actually filed directly with the court. So you file the petition with the commissioner of probation, 
which basically screens all the petitions. And if you're ineligible, they're just going to reject it at step one. Um, lots of uh, requirements. There are waiting periods. You have to wait seven years for a felony, three years before a misdemeanor. Um, there's a cap on the, the the two cases, having only two cases um, ever in your life. And then it's also to uh, subject to many exclusions based on the type of case. And uh, you're also not eligible to expunge any cases unless you, if you're under active criminal investigation, which I don't know how most folks would know whether they were being investigated or not. And then the legal standard when you do uh, apply for expungement, if you do meet the threshold standing and then you, you are before a judge, the judge can grant or deny the pitch, petition based on what's in the best interests of justice. And for juvenile under 21 expungement, there are tons and tons of exclusions. Basically, any Chapter 265 felonies, these are crimes of interpersonal violence, such as murder, rape, sex offenses, A and B with a dangerous rep record, a weapon rather, um, crimes against the elderly, the disabled, or children, um, uh, drunk driving, reckless driving, failure to stop after a collision, firearms offenses, offenses while armed with a dangerous weapon, robbery, restraining order violations, human trafficking, kidnapping, um, and and stalking. And it doesn't matter if it was a bogus case and it was dismissed, you're still uh, not going to be eligible. So it's it's sort of an all or nothing uh, proposition, which is which is tragic in this instance. Uh, but in, in some of these uh, instances where if it was a totally bogus case and it was made up, uh, and it was fraud on the court or something, you could maybe expunge it under uh, the other provision I'm going to talk about a little later under Section 100K. Uh, examples of when you might succeed to expunge if you're using this under 21 and uh, juvenile court provision would be disorderly conduct, larceny, shoplifting, tagging, drug possession or distribution, prostitution, indecent exposure, resisting arrest, all kinds of uh, motor vehicle offenses, misdemeanor assault and battery with some exceptions. Um, there, there's certain uh, assault and batteries, for example, on a child, a spouse or a parent of your child or a person you're dating are specifically excluded from, from ever being expunged. And this is what the uh, petition to expunge looks like. Uh, at the top, it, it has the address of where to send it, the Christian Probation's Office at 1 Ashburton Place in Boston. And then uh, you check off the boxes that apply. But in, in my experience with the Commissioner Probation, if you check off extra boxes, there don't seem to be a punishment. But if you're eligible or ineligible, it will depend on the, the nature of the offenses. Um, this form is pretty easy to fill out because you don't have to list docket numbers on it, unlike the, the in-court ceiling that uh, Terry was just talking about through the court system where you have to fill out a petition and list your docket number and, and lots of information about the offense. Uh, Section 100K expungement is a type of expungement that we um, often do represent clients uh, before the courts in terms of seeking the destruction of the records. And again, there's no filing fee. And the petition is filed with the court that handled the case. 
So if you've got a case from the Dorchester court, you're going to be filing the expungement petition in that court. And um, a hearing will be held either if you ask for the hearing as a petitioner or the DA asks for it. Um, there's a third type of category, I'd say, for hearings that's not addressed in the statute. The statute just talks about you get a hearing if the petitioner or the DA asks for it. But some courts will routinely schedule it for an expungement hearing. So um, you may get a hearing, so you can't assume they're going to do it on the papers, even if you write a nice affidavit and you put together a nice packet of materials, you stay, still may have to uh, go to court on the case. And as I mentioned before, Section 100K applies to both adults and juvenile cases. And um, the good thing about Section 100K, there's no waiting periods whatsoever, and there's no cap on the number of cases. You just have to fall into the particular categories for relief. And there are basically six categories where you're eligible for Section 100K expungement. It would be a, a false or unauthorized use or theft of a person's identity. Somebody impersonated you um, or used your, your, your identity without permission. Um, a decriminalized offense, which is marijuana possession of two ounces or less, or being in the presence of heroin. Um, and there are some offenses, like the definition of a school zone was changed in 2018. So occasionally we can expunge some of those offenses because um, now you have to actually be drug dealing in front of the school or have a weapon or it has a whole new definition. Um, and then uh, if you but if you do have a decriminalized marijuana possession offense, you're really going to want to file it under Section 100K in a fourth, which was just enacted in 2022, and I'll be going over those uh, provisions. Um, and then the, the third category where you can expunge is um, demonstrable errors by law enforcement. Let's say there was no probable cause for the complaint to issue, um, or there was some other error that, that happened um, and also demonstrable errors by witnesses, civilian or expert. So it could be somebody was intoxicated and then they pointed to you by mistake or there was some error with the identification. Um, or in terms of expert witnesses, um, the, the classic example would be the uh, Annie Dukin and Sonia Farrakh uh, drug lab scandal. In, in 2017, the SJC threw out um, more than 25,000 cases um, and dismissed them. Um, and so for anyone who's got one of these Annie Dukin cases or, or Sonia Farrakh cases, you could could file for expungement. And we found that the judges have been um, pretty good about uh, granting those um, expungement petitions. And another category where you can possibly expunge are demonstrable errors by court employees. And there was a, before the expungement statute took effect in 2018, um, there actually was case law. There was a case where somebody um, had a past criminal record and then he had a common name and then somebody filed um, a, a comp uh, the police filed a complaint in the court and it was like the equivalent of having the wrong John Doe. So a complaint issued, the, there was another person with the same name already in the system. 
So they issued a complaint against the person. So uh, um, the, there is an, actually an appeals court decision that says you can um, expunge in those circumstances even without um, an expungement statute in effect. So it predated the enactment of um, of Section 100K. But at, th at this point in time, um, you know, the statute's in effect, so you don't have to do anything creative. There are clear grounds to um, expunge. And then there's uh, the last ground is demonstrable fraud perpetrated on the court. And there is a whole body of law um, about what is fraud perpetrated on the court. Um, and some of it arose uh, before the uh, enactment of an expungement statute. But in a nutshell, for example, if somebody was intoxicated and then pointed to you, you probably would have, uh, you know, they'd have some witness errors, but it wouldn't be fraud on the court because you have to sort of have a deliberate plan in mind to misuse the machinery of the court. So if there's some kind of bribery involved or the person was just dead set against using the court system against you and you can show that um, you might be able to demonstrate fraud on the court. But again, you could read the body of case law. Like there was a, there's a reported decision that says in a nutshell that a person who's sort of mentally ill didn't necessarily have the intent to, um, to cause all these adverse consequences. So they didn't, they found there wasn't fraud on the court. And, um, you know, if, if, if you're looking for materials on, um, Sealing and expungement. MCLE has a book. It's the Massachusetts Corey Law, and it it has a chapter on on each topic with a lot of detail if, if that's needed. Okay, and this is what the um, expungement petition looks like. Pretty straightforward. You're listing um, the client's name and address, but as with any of these petitions, uh, you always want to be careful and don't list somebody's address. If, for example, it might put them in danger because they are a survivor of domestic violence or for for other reasons. And then you list the court, um, you um, have to sort of describe the charges and then you check the which which of the grounds apply. Um, they're essentially six grounds, but I think they've tried to make it somewhat user friendly. So um, you can check the boxes. Uh, and typically um, what we put in our, our expungement petitions, we always... Uh, uh, we'll, we'll say something, uh, you know, if it's, if, if it, if it had to do with something that's decriminalized, so for example, um, the definition of the school zone offense changed. So if today your client wouldn't be prosecuted because the definition is different, and I would cite that as it's, it's a change in the law. It's, it's, it's been decriminalized as to the conduct, um, where your client was found guilty or um, previously had a case, so you've you've got some you've got some space there. Write it in the petition to um, indicate uh, you know what's what's going on, or but um, also to maybe gain some sympathy for your for your client if you know they just got rejected for a job because of um, a particular offense. And it wasn't even their case because, you know, the, somebody's brother or sister uh, misused their identity or gave a fake name when they were arrested. And then on the forum, you're going to um, check whether you want a hearing and you also have to uh, 
mail a copy or deliver in hand a copy to the DA's office. You're going to fill out that part of it. And your client needs to sign the uh, petition itself. And then you can just file it with the court. Uh, we have some we have some good case law thanks to the Supreme Judicial Court on 100K expungement. Um, I had this case. It was called Commonwealth versus KW. It came out of the Dorchester Court, and we had a particular judge who really didn't believe in expunging anything. Um, and we had a client who we had sealed everything, and he had a couple uh, dismissals. Um, in the court from 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 that were like maybe 15 years old. They were old offenses. Um, and so we, we did a motion to reconsider in a, within 30 days, which was timely. And then when we lost, we then took an appeal and asked for direct review by the SJC. Um, and while the, the KW case has to do with um, expungement of marijuana offenses, they also just talked more broadly about Section 100K expungement. And they said that uh, there's a strong presumption in favor of expunging criminal records if you meet one of the six Section 100K grounds, such as a decriminalized offense. So, I mean, that's that's a big help to anyone filing the expungement petition because you've got uh, a presumption in your favor um, in terms of um, going forward. Uh, and then... Um, they, they, the court also was helpful by saying um, having other offenses on your record is not a reason to deny the petition, including the perceived lack of benefit. It's not a ground to deny the petition because sometimes we would run into judges and they'd say, you know, counsel, your client's record is really long. This isn't going to do anything by my expunging this record. And the, the SJC has clearly said, no, if a person is eligible for expungement and they meet the burden of proof, even if you personally don't see the benefit of it, that's not a reason to deny the petition. And uh, moving along to the new statute on marijuana expungement, um, uh, the expungement law was off to a rocky start because uh, there was some data that was made available and there was some news articles talking about how just statewide um, judges were not allowing um, expungement petitions. Um, and uh, in particular, um, marijuana expungement was a problem. So under the new statute, uh, Section 100K in a fourth requires that expungement of a decriminalized marijuana offense has to happen within 30 days of filing of the petition. Um, so it begs the question of, well, how do you know whether it was decriminalized or not? Most of the time, the records are not, they're really not that, uh, they're not going to have weights. I mean, a poli the police report that may be in the file, if you're in the district court or in the Boston Municipal Court, it's not going to say how much marijuana was on the person. Oftentimes, the police reports will say there was res residue or there was a a rolled uh, marijuana cigarette or something like that, but it's not going to have the weight. So pretty much when we file um, an expungement petition involving marijuana, we always put in a claim and in, in one of those blanks that are, that are on the form saying, you know, 
the amount of marijuana was was two ounces or less. So um, because that's the amount that that now has been legalized. Um, and the good thing about the the new uh, marijuana law on expungement is it makes distribution offenses eligible if they arise out of the same offense. So we were running into clients who had um, expungible possession offenses, but um, they weren't just charged with possession. They also were charged with distribution, even though it was less than two ounces they had on them. Um, and, um, you know, basically they were overcharged. And it's not unusual sometimes for clients to be overcharged for um, marijuana or other drug offenses. So when you're looking at uh, somebody's uh, criminal record report, you want to see whether within the same uh, case, whether there is a distribution offense and then also seek the expungement of that offense. Because it also looks worse, I think, to be a drug dealer than to be somebody who happened to you know, possess marijuana in the past when it was illegal in Massachusetts. Um, the new statute on expungement also requires findings of fact, even if a petition is denied. Um, if you compare section 100K and a fourth to section 100K, which just applies more broadly to expungement, it talks about making findings of fact but it wasn't clear whether the court was required to make findings if, if the judge was um, denying a petition. And also in the KW case, the, the SJC also specified that whenever a judge is dealing with an expungement case, if they're going to deny the petition, they need to make findings of fact. And to help things along, the, the court also has created a, um, another petition form so this is the petition form you would file. Um, it it's has it says uh, chapter two seventy six section hundred k in a fourth. Um, for pro se litigants, I think this form may be confusing because if you look at the the category of offenses, they're all pretty much under chapter ninety four c, and it's just various sections. So I don't know why they just didn't leave it at that, because I think um, with pro se litigants, they're not going to be sure of what applies. Um, generally, you know, the first one is going to apply its possession of uh, marijuana. But also you may have somebody who had plants. And if you're uh, living in a household, if, you, if you're two adults, I think you can have um, up to 12 plants. And I think it's six plants if you're a single adult in the household. Um, so, you know, those cultivation um, offenses also can possibly, um, you know, be expunged. And they have distribution and then they've got uh, uh, a subsequent offense. So um, in, in general, um, you know, you, you know, if you're a lawyer, I'd suggest make sure you look up the particular section. Um, if, if And you can tell if you send for somebody's Corey report ahead of time, you can see whether they've had multiple charges uh, for possession of, of marijuana or not. Um, in general, I know dealing with pro se's, I've seen courts uh, be lenient because you have some uh, pro se litigants and they just check every single box off. So I guess uh, you're not punished by uh, file by checking off an extra box. 
and then there's a, a specific um, provision here to to for you to specify the reasons um, for your request. So we always put in this uh, big blank spot that the amount of 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 marijuana was two ounces or less, and it was a decriminalized amount, you know, at at a minimum. Um, and then in theory, these should be able to be done on the papers, but um, we've been finding that the courts are just uh, reluctant to give up the, the hearing process with these. Um, but uh, generally, uh, we've been faring very well, you know, you know, since the change in the law, and in particular, since the issuance of the KW case. But if anyone um, you know, does run into a problem in terms of having uh, a marijuana uh, offense, uh, you can call us and we're happy to give you uh, some guidance on that. And we have a question in the chat. How much evidence do you need to have or how do you prove that you fall into the one of the six categories enumerated in Section 100K? For example, how do you prove someone stole your identity? Is there an evidentiary hearing held? Generally, the um, the hearings are not evidentiary hearings. There's only one time, I think, when the the initial expungement statute went into effect in 2018. I had a judge, and he goes, I've never done one of these, so just put your client on the stand. So I did. Uh, and he had a record, which was the result of a clerical error. So it was not a, was also was not a difficult uh, case for the judge. Uh, oftentimes we will also file an affidavit um, if we feel like there's a need for it that explains the facts. So if I was doing um, a case and it was based on fraud on the court, I'd certainly want to include a signed affidavit from the client explaining what the situation was and why they fall under the, the, the why it falls under the particular statute. But oftentimes, just on the papers, um, you know, if you if you uh, with if you're having a if you have a marijuana case, just with the claim, and then it's you know the DA's office isn't really going to be able to refute this. It's not like they've got evidence that what the exact amount was. Um, though occasionally, I did have I did have one client who had it was pounds of marijuana. So it it's merits looking at the court file. Like we always get the police reports um, to find out exactly, you know, what, what is in that record. Um, and then, but, if, and then obviously if it's, if it's a larger amount, um, you know, your client can be a great source of information, but we uh, pretty much rely on affidavits. Sometimes a judge from the bench may ask a client a few questions. Um, though, frankly, I've had more questions in sealing cases rather than in expungement cases. So I hope that answers your question. Um, Post KW strategies, I think I created this PowerPoint last spring and I was thinking, hurrah, uh, We'll just be able to send these in and we won't have to show up for hearing. Um, I was wrong on that. So, uh, um, you know, hopefully in the future, we will get to that place where you can just for, for these cases that are really um, it's really not a factual dispute. And we find with the marijuana expungement, for the most part, the district attorney's offices don't object. They're in the courtroom 
And when you do file an expungement petition, similar to when you file a sealing petition, you should always be mailing a copy to the DA's office or dropping it off. If you file it directly in court, they usually have an office in, in at the courthouse. And we don't, uh, you know, we're going to need to tie the past distribution offenses to the underlying marijuana offense. So obviously, if you've got uh, one case for marijuana and you've got one that's six months later, it's it's probably not the same incident. So it's just not going to fly. So you're just going to have to look at the facts uh, carefully there. And then once an order is expunged, um, what happens is um, the, the record is sent to the FBI and they're requested to actually expunge it. So it shouldn't show up on some of these uh, criminal record reports for employment purposes, but they still keep it, I think, for um, other purposes, for law enforcement purposes. And then once you have expunged or sealed your record, you can say you have no record. And I realize I am running out of time. It's funny. I set a clock and then I realized my clock, actually, the battery must have run out. So I'm looking at my phone and I'm seeing where but, pretty um, much we're, we're good till 530, Pauline, if you want to finish. OK, slide. OK, so we'll keep going. Um, and so, again, um, if you're asked about it, you can you can say you have no record. And it's the same with, with sealing. There are special provisions in the law that were added so that even if you have not expunged, if an employer asks for information involving your sealed record, you can answer, I have no record whenever you're applying for housing or jobs or trade licenses. And the same with uh, clerk's offices and probation. If somebody comes, a background checker comes to try to find somebody's record, um, they have to say no record exists. Um, though they won't say that if the police came to the counter or uh, the, the FBI or some kind of special entity that by statute gets special access to sealed records, they are going to uh, share those documents. Um, and it's important to have a, a sort of a basic knowledge of who's got access to sealed or expungement records. Um, in terms of sealed records, what you've got to remember is even if you've sealed all of your client's records uh, and your client gets a job, if they get pulled over by the police, uh, the police have uh, quarry records in the cruiser and they get access to sealed records. Um, and then there's also the Department of Early Education and Care, which licenses and deals with workers who uh, work in early education, in childcare, or even um, transportation of children by uh, bus drivers um, if, if they're under a certain age. So um, it's, it's going to come up for people who work in that particular field. Um, in contrast, for example, if somebody uh, wants to get a job at a nursing home, um, once it's sealed, it's not going to show up on the, on the, on the record anymore. But if it's, if, if it is a preschool or kindergarten or daycare, then um, the Department of Early Education and Care is going to get access to those records. And then D DYS and DCF also see sealed records if you try to adopt a child or be a, a foster parent. 
And uh, both juvenile records and most sealed adult records also may be, cons- may be considered by a judge at the time of sentencing if you're found guilty at a, in, in a later case. Um, so they can come back um, and have an adverse consequence in terms of the criminal process, or if you're still young and you, you pick up another um, juvenile case, it can be considered you know, at the time of sentencing. Um, the good news is in terms of civil proceedings, you know, your your quarry record is not going to be used against you in a, uh, you know, in a, a civil car accident case or um, it's it's not going to be used in uh, other types of litigation that, that's civil. Um, the exception is going to be uh, restraining order cases under Chapter 209A or Chapter 258E uh criminal harassment order hearings, and also um, child custody cases uh, or visitation cases or other cases where the safety of a child or a party is is implicated. So there may be some kind of protective order relief being sought by by a particular individual. Um, Expunge records, the good news is they no longer exist in terms of the, the, the state entity. But you do have to remember that the, you know, the FBI will likely still have data on your case, though we've had situations where people um, expunged their records and then they applied for a job with a federal agency. And when they did the fingerprint check, um, it didn't come up for purposes of employment. But it doesn't mean if you um, if you had some other criminal matter, I, you know, I, I don't think that they get rid of expunged records completely. Um, and uh, so it's you're, you're not getting exactly the same kind of protection, but it does pr- provide some relief. Okay, it looks like we, we're going to finish early, which is terrific. So thank you all for uh, participating in this training. And we will have cases that we can uh, assigned to you, but I do see there's a few things in the chat. So let's take a look at yeah, this. Yeah, I was just going to say um, there are a few more questions. So I I just wanted to answer the question about whether police can see sealed records during an arrest. Um, so police always have access to sealed records. And since they, that would be law enforcement during an arrest, they can look up a person's records and the sealed records would be included in that. The second question, question is, once a record is sealed or expunged on an employment or housing application, can a person say that they have never been arrested? So there should be no, in Massachusetts, there should be no housing applications or employment applications that act if you haven't been arrested. That has now like been banned. Um, But once you have your record sealed, you can say that you have no record and ask an employer or housing authority to look up the record and that you have no record. That is allowed by statute. And, and adding on that, uh, in Massachusetts, since uh, 2010, we've have a ban the box law. So that means when you first apply for a job, they shouldn't even be asking you about your criminal record. It's only um, once you get to the interview stage that they can inquire about your record. Though there are some exceptions for jobs where you'd be automatically excluded 
um, because of your record, maybe a job that's in uh, that requires a high level security clearance or it's in law enforcement or something um, uh, along those lines. But the other thing I mentioned is if you do run into situations and you they've got these weird questions on the applications, you might want to let the attorney general know Um when um, Governor Maura Healey was the attorney general, she actually was very good at actually send, they sent out testers and um, actually find some people who are violating uh, ban the box. Uh, but but another part of criminal justice reform that passed in 2018 was um, all the uh, job applications and the housing op- applications and the um, uh, occupational licensing applications they should have language that says that 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 instructs an applicant that they need not reveal sealed records and it was to beef up the 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 prior law by putting it right on the application but but clearly there there's problems with compliance with the law and we don't fix these problems unless we become aware of them and then we let people know so it, it probably would be good to you know either let the attorney general's office know or you can let the um the um, mass commission against discrimination they also have authority to enforce um ban the box but um so yes uh the questions are a problem and also if if you're timid about or you don't want to do it yourself just let us know and you know we're happy to and you don't necessarily have to reveal your client's name when you're trying to get compliance from particularly from a a state agency Uh, and we found um, some non-compliance even before the law changed we had uh, there were job applications that asked people about continuances without a finding uh, but that's not the same as a conviction so there was some weird stuff that went on and some applications uh, got changed, some clearly have not changed. So just let us know. But uh, I do want to thank everybody again for coming to this pro bono uh, training. There's lots of folks out there. We definitely can't handle the volume. So we would be thrilled to um, to have you take some pro bono cases, you know, uh, from people in the city of Boston.